This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 214 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com and by Horsequencher at horsequencher.com. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philo Parks from Fergus, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show with our producer, Glenn. Hey, guys, welcome back. Hello, Hi, I missed you guys. <laughs> it's good to have you back, back from again. vacation. Yeah. I know, and happy O Canada Day, Philip. That's right. We're recording on Monday, July 1st this week, and it happens to be Canada Day. Isn't it funny not, how we put O in yeah. front of it because this because of your national anthem? We only get O. Yeah, you guys. Oh, just Canada, Canada Day! Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Oh boy! Yeah. Now, do you guys so, celebrate the same way we do? Is it yeah, party us. time? Um, I think it's not as big, but yeah, there's definitely the fireworks, the whole thing. You know, the, a day off for everybody except for us horse riders. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big celebrations, barbecues, summer love. It's perfect. Well, I want to talk to you guys a little bit later about fireworks. I have a question for you, so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But I do have an announcement to make for the Horse Radio Network here this morning. And uh, that is that uh, this Sunday, July the 7th at 2.30 in the afternoon, we have uh, work teamed up with the people from Gettysburg. They are doing the 150th anniversary reenactment of the Battle of Gettysburg. And that happens uh, all of this week. They have 40,000 reenactors. It's going to be the largest reenactment that has ever happened. Uh, 800 horses, and they're expecting two to 300,000 spectators over this week. Holy it's moly. a huge, huge That's event. Awesome. And we've wow. worked with them to... This is the first year they're actually providing a video feed. It's called Battlecast. It's called the Battlecast. <laughs> and it's cool. going to be uh, a video of the Battle of Pickett's Charge, which will happen this Sunday. And, of course, Pickett's Charge was one of the largest battles at Gettysburg. And it's twelve ninety nine. It's just a one flat subscription at twelve ninety nine. You can watch it on your computer. If you have a way to hook your computer to TV, you can watch that. And it'll be we we will have the video right on our website at horseradionetwork.com. They really wanted to reach out to the horse world because there's so many horses going. Uh, plus, Holy we have had God. probably a That's dozen so cool. reenactors on our shows over the, the over the last four years, and almost all of them are going to be there. So we have had people travel from that we've talked to from California, from Ohio, from every almost every state, but from the West Coast have traveled five days with their horses to get there for this battle. It is the biggest deal for Civil War reenactors that really has ever happened. Um, cool. They do this reenactment at Gettysburg every year, but not to this to this extreme. Right, um, with so many people. That yeah, is so, awesome. So for less than the price of a t- one ticket to get in, you can, you, can watch it, you can watch it in the comfort of your own home, not fighting with 200,000 people to see it. And you're going to be able to do that this Sunday. Just go to horseradionetwork.com. You can buy your subscription right there. And you'll have four months' worth of subscription so that you'll be able to watch it. They have a lot of the battles that happened earlier in the week are recorded and on there. So you're going to be able to watch it at your leisure for the next uh, four months. We're actually having a get party here at the house on Saturday invited a whole bunch of people over to watch it so um, 
So that's oh, what I'm we're doing. I'm sad we don't live in the same I town know. anymore. I I would love that. That is so cool. Yeah, we're real. Yeah, but you guys, you guys already know how it ends, right? Yeah. <laughs> we do know how it ends. I'm so surprised. <laughs> it is pretty cool. I mean, these yeah. horses are so well trained to put up with cannon fire and musket oh, yeah. fire, oh, and kidding, I mean, man. all the noise. And you know, the hardest thing to train them to do is not the sounds. And cannons are loud. Trust me. Um, it's the smoke. They have a tough time, oh, the toughest sure. time, because it's very smoky, and and the smell it gets to them. So that's the one of the hardest things they have to do to train them. That is really cool. Well, Glenn, what time does it start? It starts at two thirty in the afternoon, Sunday, okay. July the seventh. But as I said, it will be there will be a recorded version that you'd be able to watch anytime. Uh, so if you hop on over there by Sunday and then buy the subscription, you'll be you'll be good to go. Great. Well, that sounds fun. Horseradionetwork.com. There'll be a big banner right in the middle of our website. So you just click on that and you can you can watch it from right there. Cool. Oh, I love it. Yep. Well, that's exciting. I like it. So, Philip, what's been going on in the in the news for for dressage this these days? Well, we've been talking about it for weeks, but uh, the the Aachen show finally went off, and uh, and I guess the USA team placed third in the Nations Cup. Yay! Um, Stefan Peters and Legolas led the team. Um, they were fifth individually with 75.298%. And uh, that was their second competition outside the United States. So that was a big deal because, uh, you know, the, um, the big German team was showing, I think, Damon Hill won all the Grand Prix classes in the CHIO. And, uh, and, but the, the U.S. did really well with their team. I think it was... Stefan Peters, Tina Kanya, Jan Eblig, and Shelly Francis was the Shelley was the Francis. last. Yeah, they were great, and that was it was Shelly's first um, CDIO and first time with that horse doctor at Aachen, and she did a great job. So really excited about how our team did and and, and getting the international experience, and. So excited to announce that Caroline Rothman and Sagacious, Caroline's been on the show many times and we'll ask her to come back on to talk about her adventure going to Aachen. But she and Sagacious were wonderful and um, they were in the musical freestyle and they were great. They finished second overall in the under 25 division and really turned some heads um, internationally. So congratulations to her and we will work. I know she's um, on her way back soon, so we'll try and get her on the show. So, uh, congratulations for sure. That uh, under twenty five division is fairly new, but it's it's becoming a really big deal. I mean, there's a lot of really nice horses and really good riders in that competition, and, and especially at Aachen, which is like basically the world championship for that division. Uh, you know, for her to do that well is just fantastic. So, yeah, good on that's her. really good exciting. I know, I know. Big thumbs up for her and congratulations to her and her whole team in Florida. They're great and great people. So very excited. So what's coming up on the show here, Reese? So we have a great show today, Philip. You and I are going to answer a listener question here in a little while, uh, talking about um, how do you become a horse trainer? So that'll be fun. And then we have Veronica Holt. She is an FEI T 
TD and Stuart coming on. We have never given any love to Stuarts and TDs. So I felt like it was a great time. And Veronica is known internationally um, and, and she's on the USEF uh, Stuarts and Technical Delegate Committee. Uh, and to come on and just kind of share with us what the role of a TD is at a horse show um, as they really are advocates for the, comp- the competitors. So she's going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, so I'm really looking forward to giving some love to, to a group that we haven't, haven't ever discussed yet. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think they really work. You know, when the show is going on, they work in the background, and they're doing a great job when you don't notice them, right? That's the, that right. sort of thing, I think. The judges get a lot of press and, you know, about their scores and stuff like that, but the stewards and TDs definitely have a very important role, and uh, some people don't even know that they're there. So exactly. maybe, uh, maybe we can explain what they do, and maybe next time you, you see a steward or a TD, you can, you can say hi. So that would be great. Well, guys, it is that time of the year when, you know, you have Canada Day, we have July 4th, and uh, one thing that's common between the two countries is the fireworks. And one thing that was uh, common is that horses don't like fireworks. Neither does my dog, for that matter. Yep, mine either. <laughs> a lot of dogs don't like them, yeah. My newfie hates it. We do put the Thunder shirt on in the evenings almost every night because there's so many fireworks. But it was worse in Kentucky. Kentucky, the last year we were uh, there, had just uh, made legal the big fireworks. You could only ever use sparklers and stuff before. Yay. But then they made big... And I don't know what it was like last year, Reese, because two years ago we were there. There were fireworks every single night all around us. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it sounded it's, like a war the one night. You know, yeah. there were so many. And they're using the big ones and, you know, shooting them sideways and trying to burn people's houses down and stuff. Yeah. How do your horses deal with it and what do you do? Do you put them in? What do you, there's no thunder shirt for a horse, so... <laughs> I wish there was. So we also have a dog, a, a 125 pound dog that wants to sit in my lap the whole evening. Uh, so Annie has a really hard time with it. So we try to put her in the uh, office and turn the radio on. So she, she feels like she is in a war last year. Thankfully we had, it was so dry. There was a ban on fireworks. So, wow. uh, and if you, if you oh, saw well, somebody right. shooting them off, um, you could call the authorities and we have a policeman that lives right next door. So that was great because we didn't have to worry about it. But I, I, I love, July 4th actually love our country but we don't go anywhere we you know we stay on the property just to make sure that there's nothing that goes on that we're not here for I'm I'm really nervous that somebody will run through a fence and um, I put in up as many horses as I can put up and turn the fans on and turn the radio on um, that's what we do for the horses I do worry about I have uh, two horses that live out in the field and they have a shed I don't lock them up. I let them sort of, it's an older mare and a baby. So she usually takes care of the young horse pretty well. Um, but I'm checking on them for sure. Make sure nobody does anything silly, like run through a fence or something. Um, so that's what I do, but certainly I would love to hear if anybody else has suggestions. Um, you know, the, the main horses are in the barn and with the fans on in the radio, they don't seem to jump around as much. Um, but I do worry. I personally worry if they are free, uh, that they could do something really silly. So Philip, what do you do? Well, I haven't really run into it as a problem you know in our rural neighborhoods you don't really i i mean our neighbors haven't uh i've never had a neighbor that really had a big fireworks issue i think most of, you know most of our fireworks are are uh, organized events that are you know in in town you know in the town in the small town which is far enough away that i, I we haven't really had a problem with uh 
with the horses being close enough. I mean, I think they can probably hear them and see them, you know, they, but um, not that they get worried. I think they're a little bit too far away to uh, to worry about that. So again, we're just, you know, kind of lucky around here that, that um, you know, there isn't a, a ton of people buying and lighting off their own fireworks in their backyard. You just don't have the redneck, redneck population that I do. Well, <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't know how to put it that way. but it's a, it's <laughs> I'm going to say it. Less of a Yahoo neighbors. factor than in Kentucky, I suppose. Yes, we have a Yahoo factor. Our neighbors are, you know, uh, we do have neighbors. And I'm going to call them and say, hey, are you guys going to do it? And if you're going to do it, can you do it behind your house as far away from us as possible? So, right. you know, talk to your neighbors. And, and I think, yeah, just having a good rapport with your neighbors. And, you know, I mean, you can't stop people from enjoying their day and lighting yes, off fireworks exactly. Bummer. at least maybe uh, mitigate some of the some of the problems i suppose Ben, what do you do well i mean it's the same kind of thing you just have to the horse actually our horse doesn't seem to be bothered by it as much as the dog yeah. um you know he seems to go with the flow and i think part of it helps living in florida where it thunderstorms loudly every day Right, it's like a fireworks show. It is. I mean, every every single day we get thunderstorms, and there's cracks and you know loud thunder and everything. So, and these thunderstorms are different. Where you guys live, you have fronts that move through, so it comes through in a wave and it leaves. You know, down here we have what we call pop up storms. They just pop up over top of you and they sit there for three hours, Mm. and they don't move at all. So you'll have the thunderstorm will not move; it just sits there. Uh, so, you know, the, the other night we had, we had thunder all night. I mean, it was just from the time we went to bed till the time we woke up, there was thunder and lightning all night long. So it's a little oh, different. Man. I think that desensitizes mm-hmm. them a little bit to, yeah. to the loud noise. To the noise, yeah. yeah. But the dog thunder shirt, uh, thank God for those things. I think I'm going to have to order one. Do they make them that big? I don't know. We've been talking about it. I need to get a rush order. Yeah, essentially. Do you have a people one? I'll tell you what. They work. You know, they're not a paid advertiser here, people, but these things work. I mean, they really do work. Everybody I know that we've turned on to them, it works. It really does. Cool. Wow. So I, I hope everyone has a very safe and happy 4th of July. Enjoy. And uh, for those of, if anyone has any other tips, let us know because I'd love them. But I, I definitely have some anxiety on July 4th for the horses, for sure. Earplugs. Maybe earplugs. Yeah, okay. actually, it's not a bad idea. It's actually friend. not a bad idea at all. Do the bonnets, Good job, do the bonnets and earplugs. You yeah, can duct tape them in. is on it. <laughs> you duct, put them in there and duct tape them in. Good so job, that, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hey, I know how to use duct tape. Hey, that's a good idea. It's good for everything. Well, maybe not duct tape, just maybe the ear, the ear piece. The ear the bonnets. Ear yeah. bonnets, yeah. Good idea. Cool. Oh, well, that was my question of the day. <laughs> I love it. Thanks. Let's take a break for another commercial. And when we come back, you have a question from a lis- an actual listener who wants to know something serious. So uh, we're going to talk about that. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. Commercial feeds are fortified with nutrients such as proteins, vitamins, and minerals. They are made up of a variety of ingredients that provide a particular amount of energy. Most feeds have been designed to address the needs of a certain type of horse. It is important to understand that all feeds are formulated by nutritionists to be fed in specific amounts. When the correct amount of feed is provided, the horse consumes the appropriate amount of energy and nutrients. 
The feeding directions included on the feed bag or the feed tag are specific to the particular feed and should be followed. When you feed less than the recommended amount of feed, your horse is not getting the full complement of nutrients that he or she may need. On the other hand, too much of a good thing can also be bad. The overfeeding of concentrates can lead to grain overload and oversupplementation, and feed should never be cut or mixed with other fortified feeds or plain grains because this changes the nutrient profile and can cause imbalances in energy, protein, vitamins, and minerals. If you need to include additional supplements in your horse's diet, choose products that are formulated to complement, not compete with fortified feeds. If you feed a plain grain such as oats, additional fortification may be necessary. Kentucky Performance Products supplements are specifically designed to complement, not compete with the modern concentrates used by today's horse owners. Each supplement is manufactured to exacting standards in certified facilities using stringent quality control guidelines. So choose Kentucky Performance Products supplements because the horse that matters to you matters to them. Learn more about Kentucky Performance Products supplements at kppusa.com. That's kppusa.com. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. Well, it is a real pleasure to have Veronica Holt here with us today. Veronica, thanks for joining us, and how are you today? Well, you know what? The temperature in Colorado has finally dropped down to the 70s. There is not a fire within nine miles of me currently. (laughs) So uh, life is pretty good today. That's a good news. That's good news. Yeah, that's really good news. My goodness. Well, Veronica, we, you have been just one of my mentors for many years, and we were on the USCF Steward and TD t- Committee together, and uh, I saw you at a horse show, and, and I asked you to come on the show um, because we, we have never given any love to stewards and TD on our show, and, and no reason why, other than you know judges and, and secretaries and everybody gets, gets the accolades, but we forget that you guys are, are here, and you're here to help the competitors. So can you start talking to us a little bit about what the role of a TD is? And um, we'll just get started. I can, well, there are two views on this. Um, The rule book very clearly says that um, we have no authority, a TD has no authority at a competition. Uh, But we certainly have the authority to be able to point out where there are rule infractions and what is the best way to pick it. Um, and fix it. Um, when I'm hiring a TD, I want somebody that really knows their stuff and can help me keep out of trouble. And so I look for the best, um, um, most professional people in things that I know will not be like a bull in a china sto- um, store. Um, I had a background of conflict resolution working for the EPA uh, when I was younger. And I'm not saying that conflict resolution is a is a good uh, skill to have when you want to be a technical delegate, but it, it certainly helps if you know when to listen and how to respond, because people do tend to get um, upset when things are not going well. And I see my primary responsibility to the horse. Um, the competitors are worried about their schedule, the way they're riding, 
you know, they're dealing with staff. Competition management is looking for a number of rides down the center line. And the fact, are they going to be up or down from last year? Uh, there's nobody really there standing up for the horse. Um, and I teach quite a few of these clinics. I've been lucky enough to be in a position to teach and maybe help clarify some of these uh, priorities for um, my colleagues, uh, those that are coming up through the tubes uh, and those that have been doing it too long and need a refresher. Um, but the, it says that you have to, it doesn't come down until letter F. So the USEF, which is our governing body, licensing body, obviously has more priorities than I do. Um, to satisfy himself uh, or herself that the accommodations for horses, feeding, training areas, etc., are suitable in all respects. The steward or technical delegate must commence his duties early enough to deal with those matters. Um, I think that's primary. Uh, there's nobody right. peering into the stalls the way I peer into a stall. Um, the technical delegate, I was sent, um, I was sent, you know, remember Risa was a program, the FedRep program, when we were mm-hmm. sent out unannounced yes. to competitions of interest that have not really been doing a good job. And I arrived at a show um, about an hour before the first ride, and they did not know I was coming, and they didn't know who I was. It was a sort of a backwoods competition, which can be brilliant. Uh, this particular one was not. Um, and the TD arrived one minute before the first ride, ride, bringing the judges. Well, the TD had no way to satisfy themselves that the arenas were set up correctly, you know, that, that they were ready to go. Excuse me, that's the cell phone. That they were ready to go, that um, the footing had been worked correctly. I mean, you just... You, you don't, if, if, you're, if a management is required to steward a, a warm-up ring half an hour before the first ride, then who's going to say that they were there? Um, that's a question on the report. So I'm obviously very popular today. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so you, can, you, you will find the TD at any place uh, around the show. At, in, is that they're correct? Required. If, you've got a, if you've got a licensed competition, they're required to have either a small R or a large R um, technical delegate. The large R is the more senior. Um, You need to know more. You need to be willing to do bigger, uh, more visible shows. You need to be that in order to do a regional championships. Um, And you need to have a pretty clear file um, so that you you can, people can count on you for stepping up and doing the right thing. And doing the right thing the right way, too. Um, you, you definitely want to be in a situation where you want to help the management get it right. Um, even although I'm an advisor in name, I have a pretty big stick. Um, and I'm accustomed to getting my way after I determine whether I'm right or wrong. And so I have different ways I approach it. You know, my favorite one in a warm-up when I don't particularly like what I see in a warm-up is help me understand what you're trying to accomplish here. And by that time, I have grown twice my size, and I'm very obvious, and it's very obvious to everybody that I'm talking to this competitor about what this competitor is doing with this horse. And generally, they leave. And so we, I rarely have to go um, to, the, to the step of ever uh, filing 
uh, a protest or, or making some official record of their behavior. Um, I very rarely have those problems, but I'm very visible, you know? Um, and I've worked in areas all over the country. In I don't, I don't do so many small shows anymore. I've done quite a lot of big shows this year uh, where there is a great deal to be lost um, or gained uh, by the owners of some very, very fancy horses. And they are very needy, uh, but they, I think they have in many ways a right to be needy because they've invested a huge amount of money in their training and their performance and in their status, and that matters to many owners, and it also matters to uh, riders, which is correct. Um, I'm nosy. Um, <laughs> so, and if I hadn't been nosy, I would never have found in um, one of the southern states, um, an Andalusian stallion cross-tied with hog- hobbles and kit chains. Mm. I would never have seen it if I hadn't looked at the ground in the stall. You know? Mm. I would have just seen a horse being cross-tied, which by and large is not that big a deal. But it certainly is when you put it together for all those other things. So, Veronica, um, when, you're, when you're at the show, do you talk to us about kind of what your daily procedure is when, you, when you're there? Uh, if it's a show I haven't done before, and for the very big shows, I go the night before, and if I don't know the grounds and I don't know the management, I will ask for uh, an inspection that night. Um, there was a very, very famous show in Florida where I was sort of assigned to be the steward. There were two other of my colleagues, and the manager chose me, thinking I would be the most lenient of the three. And he was horrified that I wanted, that I was... Um, interested in taking a look at the configuration of his arenas. It was an insult to him. Um, but I did anyway, of course. <laughs> of course. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's I my back, Well, I went back to him and I said, okay, um, this person who is obviously nameless, um, and I was, had a great deal of respect for him. I said, well, you can, you can change the arenas now, or you can wait until the judges arrive and tell you to change them. 30 seconds before the first ride, what would you like to do? Um, Because I I needed him to be able to try and see if he could save face. I didn't want to take him down, but I did want to point out that they got it wrong. You know, right, they had right. It will have boxes. to be changed. It would be it would it, be it would his choice be about when it would when it would happen. Yeah, it was a question of no, you're wrong. The the judges' boxes are not correct, and and no manager worth their salt wants to hold up uh, competitors who are getting ready for their first test of the day and say, well, we're going to need another 15 minutes because we have to move two judges' boxes. You know? Sure. Um, and so I think I look to management to um, embrace the experience of their technical delegates or lack of, because there are a lot of new ones out there. Fortunately, the new ones are coming out with a much better background of the needs of the sport. Um, it used to be more, and I think I got there through this, is more what you, who you knew and whether you could string a sentence or two together. Uh, right. It wasn't necessarily that you were a good rider. It wasn't that you'd proven yourself in any way, shape, or form. You did have to take a test, but those tests were always open book, and if you could read, you could probably get it, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so, so uh, 
that was a that's a perfect example of people. I I was so flattered to be asked quite a long time ago to do a show at Debbie um, McDonald's place, and I was so impressed I did not measure the arena because I figured, well, you know, look where I am. Yeah, in yeah exactly. Yeah, sure, sure. And Lisa was the judge, and Lisa said to me at the break, good Lord, Veronica, none of these people can get their circles right. And I went, oh, my gosh. It was a short arena because we had a zillion, you know, training level one rides or Lower whatever. Level, yeah, yeah. And it was short. It was too short. And oh, Debbie, oh, no. Debbie's <laughs> husband had put up the ring. And I tell that story to say, don't ever think that you've got it. <laughs> don't, don't assume yeah, it, no, right? Exactly. Don't assume. Don't assume. Don't assume. <laughs> nope. Really, really important. Um, when I refer to the fact that the TV's no more now, um, it's because we have uh, done considerable work in uh, beefing up the uh, requirements for their to be uh, up, to even apply as a technical delegate. Uh, so many hours and so many experiences as a show manager or as a show manager of record, not just an assistant show manager, because we never know what a sh- an assistant does or an assistant show secretary. Are they just handing out packets or were they in on the difficult job of scheduling a competition? So a TV has to know all the facets of what makes a competition work or not. And where to suggest the fixes. Um, an example, if the scores are not being posted within half an hour, that, that's too long in my opinion. In a lot of small shows, you might have another ride in front of that same judge and you do the same thing and the judge gets irritated with the rider because she, the rider hasn't read the comments. Well, if the rider hasn't been placed and, and has had a chance to review her score, which she thought was, you know, high 60s and it ended up being middle 50s, she, need, she needs to try and show that judge the next time she goes in that she gets it. Whether right. she thinks the judge is right or not, that's what the judge is looking for on this particular day. Um, and so why are the scores not being posted? Well, are the runners not running? Are the judges sitting on tests and fiddling with them and making some changes at the last minute? Um, are they going into the scoring office and do we not have enough scorers? Um, how are we doing the scorers? Have we got two people hunting, pecking a 10 key machine or is there somebody that can rip through those scores? Or are they forgetting to post them? I was told um, years ago that they never post the scores. They wait until the class is, class is finished. And I said, well, you've been wrong all this time. Um, they should be posted. And I think we clarified the language in a reasonable amount of time. I think half an hour is very reasonable. If you're not set up uh, to tell the competitors how well... Um, the judge thought you did, then we're not doing the competitors very much service because you can go on thinking it's a 65 for as long as you like, but it's not going to help you improve if you don't realize that your band and lateral work is all wrong or whatever, you know? And that that's just such a, a good example of what you're there to do and make the show run a little bit smoother for everybody involved. Yeah. So, Veronica, yeah. I just have a question because it actually came up at a competition, um, and I did see the TD speaking to this particular rider, but can you clarify sort of the Rolker uh, um, 
just kind of go into that and, and that whole kind of discussion. I think, I think uh, it's, re- it's come to the top of the discussion again in, um, in Europe, and, and the, there's a whole big thing going on about it in the Danish Federation. Um, from my perspective, and this is why I think the TD should be a horse person, one of the things in any kind of work, you want to be sure that the horse is not um, over, o- overworked or worked in a manner where there is no um, time out given. To be long and low for some, some time without ever having to do some kind of a little canter work or some moving forward work. Um, when a horse starts, his, their eyes start to bulge and they uh, have a higher level of sweat um, and they're breathing hard, then I don't care how long the horse has been held in a certain position, that's too long. Yes. Um, there was sort of a 10-minute thing bandied around, but then what was happening is people were waiting to the 10 minutes and then they would intervene. If I think it's too much earlier... I'll stop it right there, and I'll use again. Um, an awful lot of people are watching you work here, and they're concerned about the welfare of your horse. Um, I try to leave them with some dignity, because I'm right. perfectly capable of leaving them with none, but that's not, <laughs> I, don't get, I don't get very far that way. Um, and so I, I like to try and say, we would be more comfortable if you could give your horse a break every now and then. Right. Um, there was a competitor in California, and that's as close as I will get, um, who was doing a hand gallop around warm-up and scattering amateurs right, left, and center. He was a young, rather elegant, I think German rider, um, and I finally had to tell him to quit. Um, and his trainer came to me later, and she said, well, how else are we supposed to get the horse to go forward? I said, you know, I think really that's your, that's your job at home. We expect right. a horse mm-hmm. to come to a competition, warm their muscles up, remind them of certain things, and go and compete. This is not, um, this is not a place where you can teach a horse to go forward. Most especially right. when I'm worried right. about that person who can't hardly stay in the saddle because your rider is scaring her horse. Right, when it uh, becomes the safety of another person. That, it becomes that a be... safety and it becomes a fairness. Right. Um, too many people, when they've had, a, they've had a ride that have had a few mistakes or errors, or maybe even egregious errors, um, like never getting the changes or whatever, you know, um, will want to then go back into the training areas and reschool. I'm okay with having one or two goes, at getting that change back, I'm not okay with more than 10 minutes because if he didn't get it then, then he's not going to get it. And so bring, take him down, put him away, give him a break, try it again later, maybe come out for half an hour later um, and start again. But, but the, the practice arena in a dressage competition is not a training arena. I mean, trainers, as you well know, Reese, um, are all over the place when their uh, competitors are in the ring because it's in their best interest to help the competitor do well, but not at the expense of the horse because everybody's watching them. Yeah. Anything that is not good and not nice will be on YouTube in 30 seconds. 
Yes, it will. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, Veronica, it sounds like it sounds like there's quite a bit of leeway between different TDs and different stewards on how they might deal with different situations. What kind of direction do you get from the federations or from the governing bodies to to help s- stewards and TDs in in their jobs and and when to step in and when to not? Or is it just um, up to you guys just to, you know, kind of, do they no. send you out there and just say, do your job? Like, but, but, how does that uh, work? Reese and I were working on a program to try and address that directly. Um, also, particularly to help those competitions that were competitions of interest that were really not very successful in what they were doing for a number of different reasons. Um, there is a clinic that is they're required to attend every three years. Most of the good ones will go every year unless they're really on top of the rules and they're not worried about something missing. It, it, it was I found that if I missed a meeting or a clinic, then I was worried that I was not on the top of my game because in the old days, you really had a hard time finding out what was going on and what had changed. The rule changes were not coming in a more in a consistent manner, but they are coming now. There are several technical delegates um, who do not know the meaning of a conflict of interest and and several stewards as well. Um, they uh, the, the, the local officials tend to be hired a lot because they're cheaper. And they're going to be working in many instances with their friends. Um, it's very hard to be... Um, to be uh, out of the conflict of uh, zone if you know darn well that this trainer's been doing that to her horse for years. If I come across the scene, then I'm, go- I'm not going to have that conflict, so I don't have a problem with telling this person to cut it out. Right, um, so it's better to have somebody that is coming in with a fresh eye rather than somebody I think so. more I local think like, in, in many situations for that conflict of interest. I think, or, it's a, I, I think so. I, I did, um, I did a, a, back when I was, I don't know, I think I was chair of the Technical Delegate Council at the time, and we did a, uh, a spreadsheet on TDs that would work for food. In other words, are willing <laughs> to negotiate their fee if they could go somewhere different, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And I did a lot of that, and I hung on my friend's coattails just because she was networked and I wasn't. Um, so I got to make a lot of contacts across the country, which is why I think Reese and I got to know each other, because her yeah. mother was carting her and her sister around all the shows. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know? Everywhere. We heard, we've, we've heard about all those days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yes. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, so, Veronica... Oh. No, well, go ahead. no, the, 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 the program was taken down because somebody in, in a southern state that I quoted earlier um, decided that that was giving an unfair advantage to those TDs that were willing to work for food other than those that were not. Um, yeah. And so legal, once they get involved in these things, you know, right. they, they just did away with it. And I thought it was a very healthy way to get so-and-so out of Maryland and into Portland or into Chicago or into Ohio, seeing a, a new group of horses and a new group of uh, management techniques, because you tend that way to pass on best practices. So if I see a group 
a competition management group doing something that is very creative and is in no way compromising the legitimacy of the competition, um, then I'll pass that on. Sure. sure. Otherwise, how would you know? Hopefully it would spread. Yeah. And then hopefully it would spread. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for helping to clarify sort of what that what the role of the TD and the steward are. And I hope that everyone will feel a little bit more comfortable talking to their TDs and stewards yeah. at the competition. So thanks so much for your time today. You're so welcome, Reese. Bye-bye. Is your horse not drinking enough? Whether it's from weather changes, minor illnesses, trailer and traveling stress, there are many reasons you will have a horse refuse to drink sufficiently. Yet being fully hydrated is the first line of defense against minor issues becoming major. There is a product that helps even the pickiest of drinkers drink more, all-natural horse quencher. Listen to what four-in-hand champion Chester Weber has to say about it. Since I was introduced to Horse Quencher, I've been wildly impressed with its ability to keep the horses in the water buckets drinking, and it's given me real peace of mind. One often doesn't know they need a product until they're introduced to it, and this was a product I didn't I didn't know I needed at all, but due to the traveling that we, we do, it, uh, it's been really helpful. It's also been very helpful with horses that, you know, are a little colicky or something like that. We'll always hang in buckets um, in their stall, you know, they'll drink more, and their general health will just be better. Take it from Chester Weber. Horse Quencher is the all-natural product you want to help your horses drink as much as they should. Find it at your local feed store or tack shop or online at horsequencher.com. That's horsequencher.com. Well, you know, one of the things that we need to talk about really quickly today here, guys, is your equity, mfg.com, a manure forks. Uh, you know, and how much I know you guys love yours. And, oh my gosh, and, love and, it! And, and we love ours. And you know, we're not just saying that; we actually no. do use these things. We use They're them all the time. Using every every single day, everybody knows that those horses they don't stop eating and they don't stop pooping. So you need that fork. You need a good fork every day. Um, and, and these are just yeah, perfect. Just easy to handle, and and I can just tell it's going to last. I mean, when you put a thirteen month warranty behind something. It's not cheaply made. It's uh, they did it right. It's a nice fork. It's a great fork. I have to be honest. I am so impressed that that thirteen month warranty. I thought for sure in the first month it would have broken. Oh no! Because every other manure fork I've ever had breaks within the first week or two that we have it, and uh, it hasn't broken. And everyone loves it. Everyone fights Boy, over and it. When you have a manure fork with a broken tine, the poop oh, always finds that that's hole. So annoying. You can't. Oh use it. Uh, well, then you kind of you kind of kind of kind of figure out a way that you can still shift the oh. shift the <laughs> shavings. We've We've all done it. So we've done it. And it's you're like so oh, avoiding avoiding the little hole because you don't want to go out and buy another one because you just got that one. <laughs> just and... bought another one. You don't have to worry picture. about that with equity. One of our listeners on the Horses in the Morning show posted a picture of uh, their their equity uh, MFG. I think it was the Flex and Fork. It wasn't the motorized one. It was the Flex and Fork. Right. And it was in the middle of arena laying on the ground and there were four donkeys in the picture playing <laughs> with it. They were stepping on it and they were rolling it over and they were playing That's with good. this thing. And it was so funny because, you know, even it's even donkey proof. 
And that says that's a nice. lot. <laughs> yeah. I have some horses that come for training that are a bit donkey-like, but I don't have any donkeys. But I will tell you that my it, it's wonderful. It, I, it really, truly is the best fork we have ever used. The general Hands rule of thumb up. is if you're cleaning more than three stalls a day, you should get the motorized one. That's the uh, shaken fork. Uh, and it does have a battery in it, which lasts forever. Ours has just lasted a long time. But you plug it in every night. And if you clean more than three stalls a day, it really will cut down. You press a button, and it shakes for you. And it, it decreases the amount of shavings you use. They say by up to a half. You can save like a dollar a day. Uh, and then you can uh, also cut your time in about half for cleaning the stalls and definitely your energy. So if you have more than three a day, get that. If you have less than three a day or you're cleaning outside paddocks, then you want to go for the flex and fork. That's the non-motorized one. But they have the same heads, the same suspension system built in. It's just one's motorized and one's not. And the motorized one, I got to tell you, is fun. If you're a guy that likes gadgets, or if you're a horse husband... <laughs> it's like the ultimate. Baby yeah. Yeah. It is cool. cleaning stalls. Yeah. yeah I was just going to say, if you have a horse husband that cleans stalls, or you want them to clean stalls, get them the motorized one. Because then it becomes fun. really like it better, right? Yes. Oh, your kids. Oh, I like this. I like this. So check them out, equitymfg.com. So you guys have another question from a listener you're going to tackle today. We do. All right. We have a really good question. Philip, do you want to go ahead and tell, tell our listeners about it? Well, this is a so you want to be a horse trainer question. We had somebody that, uh, that wrote in and is considering making the jump to being a full-time trainer instead of um, working in the office, I guess is what she does now. And she says that she's taken on a couple of students who are friends and you know she wants to figure out um, where does she go from there if she does want to become a horse trainer like Reese and I yes <laughs> on our day <laughs> jobs not our not our evening uh, radio radio job not our radio um, not our radio so you want to be a, yeah. ho- a radio show host so you want to yeah expertise that would yet. not be our expertise yep exactly we're getting better but um I think this is a this is an interesting question, and I have a lot of people that come to my barn that want to be horse trainers, um, and you know I, I I like to tell them sort of the nitty gritty about what it, it is to be a horse trainer. Um, I don't know how how honest you are, Philip, but I try to be relatively honest when you want to be a horse trainer. I try um, to be overly honest. Yeah, <laughs> very honest. Um, be- yeah, because if you're not determined, then yeah. don't do it for sure. <laughs> yes, don't do it. You have to be very determined to be a horse trainer for sure. Um, I, I like to say I'm a really I'm a very well educated horse trainer because um, I I do have a master's degree in international commerce and diplomacy. Uh, which is just kind of an in- interesting thing about me. Um, I did go to grad school. Um, and when I finished grad school, I just also, within two weeks of each other, did the USDF certification, which is a really bad idea to do two comprehensive exams <laughs> for your life within three weeks of each other. Oh, I was just an awful person to be around. Um, I would say that the USDF certification was hands down harder than my diplomacy school. And, and I went to a top 10 school, so it was harder because there's more information that needs to be covered. Um, and, and it's a very, very difficult program. But I am a huge advocate of the instructor certification program. Um, and, Philip, I don't know if you have one in Canada. But- we have a couple of different programs, yeah, for, um, for getting certified as a coach and uh, – um, but they they're continuing to develop these these ideas. I think they need to um, to organize. You know, they're continuing to develop 
the programs to make them better. And, uh, and so not everyone is, uh, not everyone who's out there coaching myself included is certified as an equine Canada coach. Um, it was just one of those things. I got a lot of my education when I went to Europe and, um, and my family has been involved in horses forever. So, um, you know, I kind of learned a lot of things in the school of of hard knocks or, or you yeah. know, learn, you know, what not to do by actually doing it and then realizing that that was a really stupid thing to do. So, um, yeah. you know, when, when I was, when I was growing up, you know, I, I mean, I've always loved the horses being around horses and, and riding horses. And so, um, I got involved in dressage really early on. I, I don't have much of a background in the jumping other than some early on pony club stuff. So I had a very, I would say specialized education. And then when I did, you know, when I did decide that maybe I wanted to give it a try and and be a horse trainer, I decided I would just, you know, go the apprenticeship way. And uh, I ended up moving, moving to Europe to be a working student and and thought, you know, I I mean, I'm continuing to learn all the time. But at the time I thought, well, I'll just be a horse rider. Right. I mean, I, I wasn't interested in teaching anybody. I was just like, you know, I'm pretty good at riding. So that's what I should do. Right. And when I went over there, you know, and they taught me a lot about riding. And then they said, well, you know, when I was preparing to come home, they said, well, you know, what's your plan? I said, well, you know, I'm going to go home. I'll buy a few horses, blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, just being young and naive. And, and they said to me, well, guess what? That's not going to work. Yeah. You know, you, you have to be in everything, right? You have mm-hmm. to be good at, at a lot of things um, to be successful in the business. You, can, you know, yes. like it's, it's and it's a different world than it is in Europe. In Europe, they have people who specialize in just riding young horses and people who specialize in doing this and, and some great certification programs and, and stuff um, for being a, a very specialized person. But if you're doing it over here in North America, you have to be good at so much. And and I'm still working on it. You know, you have to be good sure. at managing your, your finances. You, I mean, yes. that's that's the big shock for me was that, you know, I... I, you know, I think I've always been pretty good at, at riding and, and bringing along young horses and, and being a little bit specialized in that way, but it just isn't good enough. And so I've been well, spending a lot of time trying to get good at different things. And what you're yeah. saying is you've got, this is a business. It has to yes. be run like a business. You can't run it as a horse person. Just because you're a good no. trainer doesn't mean you're going to succeed either. Yeah, um, you you right. have to have to have to run it as a business, and if you're not mm-hmm. qualified to do that, you better have somebody with you who is, mm-hmm. because it's still a very tough business to make any money at and to make a living at. It's um, incredibly difficult. Yeah, you know, and I, I want to no, sugarcoat it either. It, it's no, tough. it's tough. <laughs> it is a hard and and you know hours. Uh, I don't have working out. You know hours. I've gotten better as I've gotten older, and my client base has grown um, to be a little bit more strict about. Um, when my hours are, but I still teach probably three nights a week till seven or eight o'clock at night. Um, I do take a day off because I, I try to have a life outside of horses. Um, but you know, you have to be able to manage your finances. You have to be able to market yourself. Um, that's a huge one and, and, and always, and that takes a lot of time. Uh, it's not, it's easier with Facebook and and having your phone and and that type of thing, but you have to have a website. You have to update your website. Even if you have somebody to do the website, you have to give them the material for the website. Um, you have to be a psychologist. You have to be good. Yeah. You have to be good with people. People, You have to be really good with people. And I think there's a lot of people who are great with horses and who Mm -hmm. may not necessarily be successful because they're not great with people. And, and then you have, you know, these, these personal relationships that are also 
business relationships as well. And you know, I've gone through right. so many issues with that. And it's just very hard to find um, work-life balance, you know, yeah. because, well, you and I both have a significant other that aren't horse trainers, right? So right. you have to kind Absolutely. of make time for other people in your life. And and so, you know, I think the conclusion is that it's, you know, there's lots of great parts about it because, I, you know, we really do yes. love riding. You know, <laughs> we uh, do, in our job. And, uh, and I've learned to really enjoy coaching over time and, and helping people with their horses. And, and it's a super rewarding experience. But, uh, you know, it's not, it's not all rosy, I guess. It's, uh, and I'm going yeah. sp- to speak for both of you here. You know, neither <laughs> one of you make a lot of money doing this show, but you do it because you want to advance the sport. And plus, it's good for your business. It's part of that marketing. It's part of being out there in front of people. It's part of the, the people side. You know, we've interviewed probably 2,000 successful people on the Horse Radio Network. And two of one of them that's successful, they say this business is 80% people and 20% horses. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and yes. where they fail is on the people side, not on the horse side. Yes. Um, you know, because it's such a small world, you can very quickly become the person nobody wants to deal with. And if you become that, then then you're not going to make it in this in the, in the horse world. Right. The you can't term. have a business. Yeah. Right. You can't have a business. So if you're not making money. Yeah. And, you know, then it's not a business. Right. It's just it becomes a hobby. And you can see that from time to time with different people who are, are just, you know, it's, you want to be more than just paying your way or, or you know paying for groceries. I mean, you've got to try and earn, earn, earn something to make a life. Right. So that's very, very difficult. Yeah, Yeah. it is. And, and I think the other thing that, that people forget is, is we are people too sometimes. I know that sounds silly, but you know, um, at a horse show, it's cute because you know, my students, they're getting better, but they'll go home, they'll ride their horses and they'll go home. And I'm left there at the end of the day, like, okay, uh, we've got eight horses to still put away. So I think, and sometimes if a trainer is crabby, we get crabby too every once in a while. I, especially, I get crabby <laughs> if you're not a snack. Now, well, Reese. you know, and, and you never know. Like, um, for example, I had I had uh, someone just kind of show up at my barn on a Friday afternoon at four o'clock and without calling or, or and, and I didn't want to be crabby with her, but I actually had some errands to run that weren't horse related, like the bank and, and the post office. And, you know, it's hard not to be crabby at that point in time. Um, I think anybody would be well, crabby. I have, I, I have a crabby time. It's from November to March. <laughs> yes, you are crabby. I will second that. <laughs> so uh, if, if it could be the six feet of snow yeah. and the minus yeah, 20 and, degrees. But, yeah, uh, exactly. That you're working in and we're out in it all day long. Or if it's 100 degrees, we're out in it all day long. Um, and so sometimes we are a little crabby when we're cold or hot. Or um, So I think that's also part of the job. You know, we don't work in air conditioning and we work in all conditions and uh, we manage employees and their issues, and uh, there's a there's just a lot to this job, and um, I, not to discourage well, anybody. I don't want to discourage. Well, I think a little anybody. bit to discourage. I mean, <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun if you have job. another job and you can do you if yes. you can help a few people on the side, and you're good at that too. I think that's a that's a wonderful thing because you can always kind of mm-hmm. walk away from it if it gets too much. But when you're when you're in it, like Reese and I are, it's you you can't do that. It's every day. It's all the time, and it's and you have to look. Kind it's of, Canada Day, and what's Philip doing talking yeah. to us? 
talking, talking to us. To we're doing a little <laughs> horse radio and, and I'm riding horses and I'm teaching lessons this afternoon. Because, we don't have holidays. Yeah, holidays are right, when people want to ride. Yeah, holidays are the times when our clients want to <laughs> so, come and ride their horse because that's when they're free, right? They, you know, they yeah. have jobs. So well, we're working around other people's schedules. And, and I think, uh, I think that's the old saying does apply. If you ever want to make a fortune with horses, start with one. You know, um, yes. That if you want, yeah. If you want to make a, a small fortune, start with a big, a big one. fortune. Yes, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> and that is true in this business. And um, or have I, a husband that makes a lot of money. Either way works. <laughs> or wife. Or wife. Yeah, or something like that. Spouse, yeah. but um, I, I think failed maybe, at that one. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> you have to enjoy the lifestyle too. I mean, obviously, on a beautiful day, and and I'm riding my horses, and and I one of one of my favorite things is actually to come in for the three minutes I get for lunch. And I listen, I, can, I can't actually hear voice, you know, I can hear the voices in the tack room and the girls are laughing and having a great time. And, and that just makes my heart smile. And, and to walk in on a Sunday afternoon and my horses are all winning at me, that's pretty cool. So uh, that, that is the good part and the rewarding part of, of your job. Um, but it is a, a challenging lifestyle. Um, and I, I always tell people, if you want to do this job, you better be willing and able to work. I, I don't, I don't know how many hours a week I work. I actually don't want to tally it up. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't try <laughs> don't, and figure out what your actual hourly wage would be. Yeah. I don't want to know, but, um, yeah, but it is, it is a wonderful lifestyle. I just think p- people need to be realistic and, um, it's very expensive and to, it's very expensive in the beginning because you need the horses to get your name out. And well, I mean, yeah, even, there's that continuing education aspect yes. of it because, you know, we, I, you know, I kind of look at it that, you know, I do the job to be able to afford me what, what would be my hobby, which would be riding in the mm-hmm. high end, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the part that's not rest necessarily the job. It helps you out with, with making a name for yourself. But, you know, that's why I do this to be able to do that sort of thing. And, uh, and that's very expensive with, you know, you, you, you have to pay for your, you know, my own trainer, you know. Like some people look at it like, oh, well, I, I make so much an hour, right? But, you know, then I have to pay for that person yeah. who makes three or four or five times more than I do for exactly. my lesson, right? So a lot of the money that comes in, it's just, you know, from one hand to the other, right out the door to pay my own horse's board or vet mm-hmm. bills. We all have those costs. They don't go down. So it's just, yeah. it's uh, it's something to put a lot of thought into before you decide that, yes. you know, it's it's fun to teach your friend and, and just go ahead and do that. But uh, yeah. Um, like you said, I would recommend the, just doing the certification programs, you know, yep. and, and see how you like that and how you do with that. That's a, that's a great start. Or or come and just just really sit down with a trainer and really ask them honestly, you know, about about what they do. And and uh, you know, I have the book work is is tremendously hard too because I'm out in the barn, but then I've got to come in and run a business. And I yep. do. I actually, yeah. I do have a barn manager that comes in um, a couple hours a week, but still, you know, she helps me pay the electric bill and that type of stuff. But uh, also in the States, and I don't know about Canada, Philip, but we have to carry quite a bit of liability insurance. Um, of course. To do what we do. There's a lot of hidden costs, right? I mm-hmm. mean, with, with yeah. filing, tax, you know, filing taxes and, and, you know, dealing with the financial side of it, there's costs involved and, mm-hmm. yeah, insurance agents and lawyers and... Yep. Lots of things you don't even that, think about so when you think about training a horse. Talk to someone right? before you change your or, job. Yeah, or do or, a short working student thing, you know, mm-hmm. or, or maybe you do it on the weekends just to see if you, you know, you like working 12 hours a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every day. 
Every day. But um, and and certainly Philip and I are happy to answer any questions if you have um, any more questions about becoming a trainer, or we will find or talk to one of our friends about it. But um, please, uh, yeah, to contact someone before you change your job. That's where we're right. going with that. Right before uh, you quit. Right <laughs> before you quit. But everybody, uh, we've enjoyed today's show, and um, we do enjoy listener questions. Please keep those coming. Um, we we like that, and it, and it gives us something to talk about. But you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. You can like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. You can follow us on Twitter, at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com. Go to it because I spend a lot of time there. And my, <laughs> my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. You can find me at philipparksequestrian.com and my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week for allowing us to put on our shows. And don't forget to check out all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back and we'll talk to you next week. 